spelling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in America, this is the podcast that pulls back the curtain on the natural products industry. It's episode 83. What are we going to call this one, man? I don't know. Let's just call it uh, potpourri. You know, we'll call it a little mix of everything. Now, we're going to be talking today about bone health nutrition and foods that will help and hurt your bones. Don't I forget- want you to know that I was staring at a bag of potpourri when you mentioned that. That's crazy. That is crazy because uh, people really haven't had potpourri in their house since 1998. So that's probably when this potpourri is from. My mom's kind of a pack rat. Yeah. Yeah. So I would probably throw that away because it probably has mold on it and it's no longer uh, beneficial for your health. So there. Uh, visit the blog at woodstockvitamins.com. Check out my newest, latest, and greatest uh, rants and so forth. Is that how you say it? Rants and, and such and so forth? I don't know. Yeah, that works. You can just cut. This week's was a good one. Yeah. I, I thought it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I've started to really get judgmental on myself. Uh, can I tell you a funny story before we get into the podcasty stuff? I was thinking about stuff I was posting on my personal social media, which I try to make it a mix of health, wellness, and current events, but try to be positive and inspirational and such and, you know, see what people think. And I'm like, oh, I should probably post something a little bit more personal. I haven't done that in a while. What could I post? Well, let me post about my anniversary. That's coming up, isn't it? Uh, it's a big one this year. We're going to be married for 15 years. Ah, we were supposed to go to Portugal. That stinks. When is my anniversary? Oh, it's today. So <laughs> 15 years later, we've finally forgotten our anniversary. And so it wasn't just me. It was actually my wife too, like complete, like not even a thought. Right. And so I pull over, throw my hazards and I call Aaron and I'm like, Hey, uh, can you switch to FaceTime? And she switches. I'm like, happy anniversary that you forgot. And uh, she's like, I can't believe we forgot it. Well, we're supposed to be in Portugal. That's probably part of the reason we would, you know, I've already been there and been planning for the day, you know, year, a year in advance at least, but everything went haywire. So uh, whatever. So we had pizza at the house because we couldn't even get a sushi dinner like we wanted and uh, oh, <laughs> for the kids. And we watched How to Succeed in Business Without Trying from 1967. We played a little board game and that was it. That's that's 15 years, man. That's it. <laughs> that sounds like a blast. Congratulations Thanks. to you guys. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So, all right, like back on topic here. Do the neighborly thing for us since I'm trying to do the neighborly thing on my Facebook page. Tell everyone about our show. Knock on your Me. neighbor's doors. Go house to house and say you love this podcast and you want everybody to listen to it. So, um, Yeah, and if they know you're not there to talk to them about voting, they'll probably be happy to see you. Well, that's a great segue because I want to do my civic duty because this is <laughs> it's getting a little out of hand out there in these streets. I want uh, everybody to vote. I want you to vote early if you can, because I think that should be a thing, especially these in these troubling times. And mm-hmm. then I want you to vote in person. And I know that's going to be a weird thing coming for me, but I believe that the voting process, especially because most places are larger rooms and they're going to have nice controls um, for COVID, I think it will be something that will be very doable for us this year, despite the pandemic. And I don't think that we can, unfortunately, uh, wait. We need the results uh, to come in as early and as powerful as uh, possible in this election 
you know, one way or another, like, let's make it powerful, you know? And yeah. uh, so go out, vote in person and try to do it early if you can. Um, uh, put on your mask. And that's actually one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is mask quality because there was uh, some some papers published. So we'll we'll kind of segue into that. But just make sure you get out there and rock the vote or vote and die, whichever one Puff Daddy wants you to do. (laughs) Yes. And if you have a vote by mail ballot, try to drop it off with your board of elections rather than mailing it back. Just, you know, for your own peace of mind. And also that's what's also being recommended. So you can fill it out at home and then just drop it off and you don't have to be around people. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we all know, it's pretty troublesome that we have to worry about this, right? Yeah. So we're not worried about this because there's some other thing going on. It's because there's treachery afoot. So um, that's a problem in and of itself. So get out there and vote, please. So let's talk about some COVID stuff. Uh, I've let's got, do it. I've got some some things I've been uh, kind of reading. Lots of uh, interesting stuff, Flying Fast and Furious. We unfortunately released our episode last week. And then Trump got COVID <laughs> like that day. I almost pulled the episode and like, let's comment on that. Um, yeah. So Trump got COVID. He got the Regeneron. That's what he's calling it. It is actually not the Regeneron. These are antibodies. And his doctor actually went on record and said, oh, he's got COVID antibodies already. He's so strong. And it's like and Regeneron even said, hey, those are our antibodies that <laughs> you're testing. Um so, yeah, so Donald Trump and 34 people uh, connected to the White House, it seems, in a leaked uh, FEMA memo, have uh, coronavirus, and yes. it stinks. And then, like, all of those people uh, are infecting others, of course. Uh, somebody said that there was, like, 117 foreign countries that the White House had more coronavirus coronavirus cases than. So, yes. uh, that's pretty good nuts, all of it. Yeah, I'm I know there's been a lot of talk about not delighting in other people's suffering, but I am just not that good a person. And I laughed when I I laughed every time. And you can judge me on that (laughs) if you want to. I don't make any apologies. They flouted all the precautions and now they're all sick. That's that's it's not karma. As Trevor Noah said, that's not karma. That's cause and effect. So the term schadenfreude. Right. Or schadenfreude. (laughs) Is that how you pronounce it? Okay, it's it's a little bit of schadenfreude, too. Yeah. yeah. So. That search term, but per Google, went up. Uh, uh, I think it was like twenty five percent, probably nearly twenty per. Uh, no, not twenty percent. Uh, twenty times. Yes. Yeah, ten yep. times is what it went up. Wow, that's that's pretty nuts. So the search, yeah. <laughs> the searches uh, went up ten x the day that he got diagnosed, uh, which is pretty crazy. Shameful joy is something that we should yeah. not delight in, and and. So here's my position. This is why I wanted to say this. So, you know, obviously we want nobody to get coronavirus. We want people to do the right thing. You know, I understand where people are coming from being compassionate to others that are like, yeah, all right. You know, um, again, that's troubling that we're getting excited that somebody caught coronavirus, but he's been thumbing his nose at this whole thing. And I believe that the most dangerous things that he's tweeted have been tweeted in the past, uh, like seven to 10 days, uh, following Mm -hmm. the debate basically until today. Um, but one of them was, you know, he's leaving the hospital practically, I believe AMA, you know, like, he's just like, I can't be here. It makes me look weak. And, Mm -hmm. um, he is saying, don't fear COVID. And like, that's really, really a problem. And then again, in the next tweet saying, it's no worse than the flu. And so the problem here is twofold. One, stop 
stop. Like at least Boris Johnson, Bojo, at least he kind of got with it after, right? He got sick and he's like, okay, let's take this seriously. And that's what you kind of hope for is that, okay, the light bulb goes off, right? Mm -hmm. But there are a number of people that are putting words in his mouth by saying that what he meant was that we can't fear this thing. We have to get back to normal and all that other kind of nonsense that's there. No, that's actually not what he's saying. He's downplowing downplaying the severity of this disease once more uh, at probably the most dangerous time to do so when he was infected and everybody's looking at him and going, okay, what is he going to do? Right. And, Mm -hmm. and the contextualization of it is with the, that flu stuff. So, so he is not saying you shouldn't fear it because uh, we, you know, it's, it's a, killer of only so many people or, you know, whatever the reasons these folks are giving, um, he's saying that it's not serious and it shouldn't be taken seriously, even though he's suffering from it. And it's very clear. So here's my prediction. Uh, I've tried not to like go in on this, but, um, if he gets readmitted to Walter Reed, I think that's going to be very, very troublesome for the president. Mm. I think that we still have about five days to see, if this takes a turn for the worse, my comments on this were, if we're sitting here now and we're talking about this, we shouldn't be saying, is this guy going to die? You know, we could speculate on that in the recovery trial with the um, treatments that were available at the time. I think that's the dexamethasone uh, was a big uh, treatment arm. There was like a 25% chance of death still, right? And I'm not too sure because I haven't dug into that very much at all besides just the superficial stuff. I'm not too sure if they did like analysis of comorbidities, pre-existing conditions, dudes like him. Uh, And certainly like the advantages is the Regeneron antibodies and then the um, Remdesivir, right? So he had all of that in his favor, um, which would cost you and I a hundred thousand bucks that we wouldn't even get access to. Um, so who knows where this will fall? So we shouldn't be talking about death. Uh, we should be talking about, is this going to get serious? Is this going to get critical? And if it does, then that will spell trouble, I think. So, yeah. Yep. So it's been a very interesting week, just watching all of this kind of, uh, unfold as the white house, Days before the election uh, succumbs to coronavirus, and uh, it's a very, very crazy time to be alive. Uh, this would not be on my bingo card at all. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just kind of like nothing surprises me anymore. It's disgusting, you isn't know? it? If I'm being honest, uh, I always got a kick out of Chris Christie and the fact that he's currently hospitalized bums me out a little bit. But, yeah. you know. Cause like, I know, I know it was like a huge, it, it was like a big deal when he shut down <laughs> all yeah, those lanes mm-hmm. to the bridge, but I, I wasn't living in New York at the time. So I was watching it from like a, an outsider's perspective. And I was like, man, that is so gangster. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's so but, weird. You know, he also flouted the rules and he is morbidly obese and of everyone in Trump's circle. He's the one that I had the smallest problem with. So he's the only one that I'm bummed about. But Stephen Miller, whew, boy, I'm really I did not that. see that coming. <laughs> I know. I didn't know the undead could catch a virus. Yes. So moving on. So the, there was a couple pieces <laughs> that I think that people should take a look at. There was basically William Fagey, who was the old CDC chief, kind of trashed Redfield, the new CDC chief. And I think that's important <laughs> for people to read because like 
again, this is the the nerd world, right? Um, so right. I would hope that most of us wouldn't really know who these you know, public officials are, you know, because most of us aren't paying attention to these nitty gritty details, especially in like public, public health, unless we're medical practitioners. So who, who even knows what, who William Fagey is. Right. So I think you should understand like who these players are. He was considered like the Babe Ruth is one of his colleagues called him, uh, of public health. And he has been very nonpartisan served under Democrats and Republicans throughout his entire career, even after. And like, he wrote this very scathing <laughs> letter to Redfield. And that's a real, real problem. That should be like a, a big red alert. And essentially he's saying that you've caved, you've caved to the white house and that's a problem. And this is going to go down as a colossal failure of the public health system of this country the biggest challenge in a century, and we let the country down. The public health techs of the future will use this as a lesson on how not to handle infectious disease pandemic. And that's, so that's a lot for somebody to come out and say that there's normally like a general respect or kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, hands off kind of, you know, yeah. process there. Um, you know, failing that's the people. True. I saw that headline and didn't read into it. Yeah. I realized that it was like, that that's what it was about. That's crazy. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal that this dude said that and, and that, uh, you know, calling him out and saying, listen, you can still turn this ship around though. So come out, you know, uh, stand up, put it all at, at, on the line basically is what he's saying is like, you need to deal with the fact that you might get fired, but you have to kind of change your ways because you're tarnishing the reputation of the CDC. And as I always say, you're sowing distrust in the institutions. And that's a big problem for me is that this damage, I believe, is intentional because they, they want people that will fall in line. And then it, as a side effect, will make people not trust the CDC because you can see it already. If you pay attention on social media, that's what people are saying. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, can't trust the CDC. They're going to change their mind, whatever. And it's like, uh, again, we shouldn't know these things because you know, we don't need to have those granular details. They just kind of have to be like the dark night there, you know, protecting us or whatever. And, uh, and so the fact that, you know, and you're paying attention and you are now negative about it, that's a real problem for all of us. So, um, the other thing I want to talk about is masks. It's fascinating to me that we're at this point, seven months later, and, and there's still like confusion. People need clarity around masks. So I thought that this would be a great time. I shared a study. Uh, let me just pull up the link. We'll link it in the show notes. The, it was science advances. So it's a smaller journal, uh, journal science mag. Basically they did Oh, sciencemag.org. I'm sorry. And, uh, they did a small study about basically, let me just give you the title, low cost measurement of face mask e- efficacy for filtering expelled droplets during speech. So they're looking at how do each of the different mask types that people buy or use, you know, compare to each other for not transmitting disease or illness or any of those other like primary markers, but secondary markers, how, you know, how many big droplets get through, because this is one of those situations where we can make that inference, right? Big droplets get through. That's a problem. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a yeah. real issue. So um, they compared a bunch of really cool things and there was a, a couple interesting pieces that were there. So obviously like a well-fitted N95 is going to be the best by far, but a surgical mask isn't very far off from that at all. And, and so those are the top two. And so what I'm kind of saying, the, the thesis here is 
go get surgical masks, like legitimate surgical masks, not the knockoff stuff. Go to a pharmacy, something like that, buy the surgical masks. Those seem to be the best, even though the air is escaping from the sides and such, right? But they have the mm. nice little pin on your nose and like really can keep um, the the big droplets from falling out. So um, don't bother with N95s because we have to worry about the knockoffs. We have those valved ones, which are very different. Those are ranked much uh worse than these other guys and you're not going to get it fitted and that was the thing at the beginning because people aren't going to have the n95s fitted and you know we need those for the healthcare professionals you shouldn't be wearing masks now of course we know that it's more about the droplets than it is about the virus so mm-hmm. um so there was a number of different cotton masks and essentially it's it's a double layer cotton with like the poly stuff in between Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, they call it the poly cotton. So polypropylene cotton mask. Uh, So that is what I've been telling people to make sure that you get. So two layers of cotton polypropylene in the middle. If you're going to do a homemade mask, that's the best one, because in their um, their findings here, it's almost as good as a surgical mask, which is pretty, pretty awesome. And then you can make them look fancy and schmancy and you can have patterns. there was something that everybody kind of paid attention to the idea that fleece uh, was worse than not wearing anything at all. Oh, because it breaks up the large droplets into small ones that hang in the air. That's right. Yeah. So the fleece basically is uh, sort of like a cheese grater for respiratory Mm -hmm. droplets. Um, And then the neck gaiters that were very thin, those are ranked pretty poorly as well. So, so fleece, neck gaiters stay away from those it's time to up our mask game folks you know we're going to be doing this for at least all of 2021 we'll be wearing masks so settle in get comfortable find a mask that you really like we will be wearing masks um and so we'll link that study so that way you can see the paper and you can kind of get their opinions on everything but uh, you can also check out my personal Facebook page, Neil Smoller, uh, and I think it's uh, slash Dr. Neil Smoller on Facebook.com. And you can see Does, the post. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Does it say anything about the cotton masks with filters in them? Because I've been doing a double cotton mask with wire over the nose to fit it and a vacuum bag, like a HEPA filter vacuum bag as a filter in the pocket. I'm guessing that that's going to go in that cotton poly cotton category, you know? Awesome. Um, Yeah, so that's in that like top tier. So if we throw that fitted N95s out, nobody's doing that correctly. Um, And we have surgical and Kali poly cotton. Those are the two that you want (laughs) to, cotton cotton eye joe? Popcorn. I, <laughs> I am leaving that in. Yeah. So great. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. So uh, the those are our great masks. All right. So moving on, because I just want to not bore everybody with my rambling here. Too late. There, there is a no duh paper that's been published. Like I've now seen a few of these uh, kind of making the rounds. And this is essentially saying if we relax social distancing and our interventions, disease goes up. And as soon as we put those things back in place, there's like a four to eight week lag, but disease goes down. So mm-hmm. no duh. Right. Um, but what's really, really interesting about it, I thought is that the States that were hit hardest at the beginning, no matter if there was relaxed distancing or not, the numbers stayed down. 
And the authors basically said, yeah, that state got hit hard. So New York, for example, they got their teeth kicked in. They were the worst spot, even like Los Angeles County, right? At the beginning. Mm -hmm. So people were less likely to be loosey goosey about the whole thing. Um, even if the same exact social distancing measure relaxation happened uh, versus the other places where it didn't really hit hard. So they didn't really respect the rules to begin with. So then they were more cavalier and uh, risky in their behaviors uh, and in riskier environments. And as a result, the numbers went out of control. So I thought that that was really interesting. The idea that, you know, people don't do stuff until it's real for them. You know, mm -hmm. and if it's real for you, then you kind of snap in line and you do what you're supposed to do for a bit at least. And if not, then, you know, what do I have to worry about? And it's a very uh, human and but mostly childish human uh, kind of characteristic. So um, I think that we have a rough time ahead of us. I want to just say one more time that before we go into the fall, let's make sure that we're. Uh, you know, really assessing our bubble. Who, who are the people that we're going to let into our circle? We're going inside, uh, especially here in the Northeast. We That's a risky environment. And so we have to make sure that we have low risk people around us. And you can look at their social patterns, their school, their work, and kind of get a sense, red light, green light, right? Yellow light, uh, or, mm -hmm. you know, no lights at all because they're, they're not, they're not leaving the house and you can really assess them on those three points and determine if they should be let into your world or not. So, uh, I'm not gonna let our kids go back to school until, uh, after the holidays. I really want to test like the first couple of weeks, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. But once we have Halloween, once we have Thanksgiving and people are, you know, mm -hmm. mixing together in that nice little cauldron and cranberry sauce mix the uh we could have some cases bump up so we'll, we'll wait until january before we send our kids back but um that's it so i figure now what we can do is we can talk about bone health nutrition because it's a specific topic that i've never covered before and a lot of people ask me about it so i know you read the article and i think i just like to do this just so we have a second kind of piece of content around these core topics uh, some mm -hmm. people don't like to read all my nonsense, so uh, they just want to hear it. So so what do you think? Uh, any questions about nutrition for bone health before we get started, or do you want me to just dive in? Uh, why don't you just dive in? Because I thought it was a really great list. And like when it comes to social media, I try to keep my work and my personal stuff separate. But that list is something that I will probably share with my friends yeah. because I think it's important. Yeah. And we have to remember that bone health starts when you're Dana's age, not when you're 70 and have your first diagnosis of osteoporosis. We have to, this is a preventative long-term disease. I just disease. want to state for the record that you and I are currently the same age until November. That's so. right. Yeah, yeah, old man. Yeah, you. Well, I'm just saying you're uh, older now, so you have to be careful about this stuff. Um, the the other thing that I always put in these kinds of conversations is that people want to do anything except take medications. So most mm -hmm. folks that come to me for osteoporosis, holistic care, the goal is to not take medications, and that's completely fine. But we have to understand that the time for building bones with food and calcium and weight bearing exercises when we're younger, we just have to be honest about what benefits will come from doing that. So when you are doing these lifestyle modifications at best, it's going to slow the progressive bone loss. 
It's not going to really help build your bones back unless you were really bad about the good choices before. The medicines are really the only things that are going to improve your bone density. So, um, but that's a whole nother conversation and we can certainly, and we have talked about it, but we can talk about it in the future too. So, um, so I wanted to talk about nutrition because there are foods that are good. There are foods that are troublesome and there are foods that are misunderstood about bone health. So <laughs> starting with the foods that make our bones healthy, the first person, you know, first thing everybody goes for is calcium, right? That's all the bloggers. They're like, yeah, calcium, but not me. Not Uh-oh. me. I like to buck the trends and stand out. So I actually talked about protein. I believe that protein is one of the most important nutrients that you can get from your diet for bone health. And I say that because our bones are protein. Our bones are collagen fibers that come from the amino acids from the proteins that we eat. And then the, the bones are hardened with the calcium hydroxyapatite complex. So getting enough calcium and having that stuff available. So we don't eat enough protein. So Americans in general have plenty of protein, but individually I've found over the years is that a lot of people don't. A lot of people are uh, really low on those protein levels. So I would uh, encourage everybody to take a good look. One gram per kilogram of body weight, you find kilogram by dividing by 2.2 and you will get your kilogram body weight. So for me, 225 pounds divided by 2.2, that's about 100 kilograms. I need 100 grams of protein a day. If I was just getting the minimum, uh, I do strength training. So I actually need about 20 to 40% more than that, uh, closer to the 40%. So I technically need about 140 grams of protein every day. And if I don't get enough, what I'll see first and foremost is like hair, skin, and nails will start to show that I'm a little bit malnourished. Um, but the muscles around my bones that are very important for, you know, posture and gait and, you know, strength and balance, those will start to weaken too. Now, if I was a 70, 80 year old man, that would be a real problem. So again, planting the tree today for shade tomorrow, eating enough protein every single day, very critical to bone health. And then also fracture prevention. So fish is the big thing. Everybody says, oh, eat fish because it's a good source. But then you can also eat animal protein as well, or even plant protein. But the plant protein moves us to this place where we have um, plants and ingredients found in plants that uh, can contribute to bone loss. And so we'll talk about that more specifically when we get to that section, but that's just a little asterisk. Um, Any questions about protein? You're good on protein? Yeah, makes sense. Yep, just eat chicken, pork, plant-based sources, and you know, lots of fatty fish. All of that is great for healthy bones. The next thing is calcium-rich foods. This is the basic stuff. Milk, yogurt, cheese, anything dairy, and then dark leafy greens, kale, spinach, broccoli, right? These are calcium-rich foods. Now, the question becomes, are you getting good calcium? (laughs) Are these uh, calcium-rich products is all of the calcium being absorbed, right? So those are the the things that are normally not talked about when you see these lists. And that's kind of what I, I got into here is the idea that some of these greens have a compound called oxalates. And we've heard about these because they contribute to kidney disease, but those things reduce calcium absorption. So even though spinach is in that list of a calcium rich food, spinach is actually, most experts will say, don't count spinach as a calcium source because of the high oxalate content, because you're huh. blocking the absorption. Um, and of course there's difference between cooked and raw and all that crazy stuff, but I just want you to like what I'm trying, the reason I'm trying to say that this is that there's 
a little bit of complexity here when it comes to this calcium discussion and the superficial stuff that's put out there by a lot of these, you know, charlatans or, you know, just even respectable pages. Like they're putting out this information, but they're not kind of diving into this stuff. And the argument that I'm trying to make here is that even if we try really hard, the amount of calcium we get in our diet every day isn't sufficient to meet our needs. And this is why calcium becomes one of my vital five nutrients, because we, even with the best diets, we're still slightly lacking uh, at best normally. So we want to make sure that we we get enough calcium. So that's where supplementation will happen. Um, So we have to worry about oxalates for calcium absorption. That's a real problem. And then the other problem that I like to point out is the dairy alternatives discussion. So if you recall, we talk about dairy alternatives on the blog. And I think I have um, an ebook that's circulating about how to make your own dairy alternatives. But the long and the short of it is, is that the commercial products that are out there that are dairy alternatives are like sunny delight when it comes to dairy. You know, it's a chemical soup and it's fortified with calcium. The fortification is using the cheapest, most inabsorbable and insoluble forms of calcium, the calcium carbonate. Calcium carbonate doesn't really improve bone density. In fact, it should be avoided just because we have data that's showing that excess calcium carbonate can lead to like heart problems. So we don't want you to use dairy alternatives because they're really not dairy alternatives. I even consider the class of dairy alternatives, it, it should be called water alternatives because it's, it's just, it's just something that you can drink. That's not water. It's not truly an alternative to dairy. The reason that we want the alternative is because of the fat content and these micronutrients, the calcium and all like vitamin D and all of this other stuff, dairy alternatives won't naturally have that because the things that the dairy alternatives are made from don't naturally have that. So you have to add it and we don't want that. So, um, so dairy alternatives as a calcium source should not be included. In fact, those should be minimized just like juice and, you know, Sunday delight should be as well. Oh, that is a real bummer because with my minimizing my trips to the grocery store, I have been getting the boxed almond milk and I know that it's fortified with calcium carbonate and it's simply because I can set it on a shelf and it'll last until I get to it instead of going to the grocery store for fresh dairy every week you know that's yeah. well I mean at least I'm taking your brand of calcium supplements hey, so look at that. You get to get hopefully the right I'm form. at least breaking even yeah so we're making sure that we got a good quality product just a little digression um, you know one of the things that I'm constantly doing is trying to make new products and build new relationships with different companies. And uh, I just found another company that on the surface looks great. And, you know, once I started diving in, I, I actually had to ask someone else. So I have a couple people in the industry that I can call and be like, Hey, tell me about this brand, you know, and because mm-hmm. they work for other brands, but they, they have no inside baseball. They can tell me they're like, Oh, check it out under this name. So this company was out there in the world as one brand, but then their their legal name was something else. And that legal name got served the papers that they were part of this class action lawsuit where they basically almost killed a bunch of people. Um, this like red and greens drink that they were making was supposed to have 32 ingredients and had like 91 <laughs> different like funky oh plants God. and chemical compounds that were harmful. So we're like we're digging through the class action lawsuit right now because I don't think that it hit the radar on the regulatory side. I think it was just like more of a civil action. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's pretty frustrating, uh, how, you know, how to get a, a quality made product done. It's going to be expensive and it is, um, 
quite quite a hassle to do it the right way in supplement industry. It it is way harder to get a supplement made correctly than it is to just you know get it done the way that most people do it. So I just wanted to digress sure. a little bit on that. It's stupid. <laughs> Speaking of digressions, just because I have already read your blog and I know that beet greens were one of the oxalates, yes. was that the word? Mm-hmm. This is a total digression, nothing to do with bone health, but I happen to be reading <laughs> up on beets and beet greens because it was relevant to my family situation. Yeah. And you did mention about the possibility of kidney stones, and that is what I found more from the greens less from the beets, but beets themselves are recommended for good circulation. So my question Mm -hmm. is for somebody who is prone to kidney stones, but they're also in need of a circulation supplement, would taking something like a, a crystallized beet powder be recommended for the circulation or would the risk of kidney stones outweigh that? I think you'd be fine. I, I mean, the you know, just for listeners at home that don't eat fruits or vegetables like me, I'm just kidding. Um, the beets are the red, the purple thing on the bottom, and then the beet greens are the the lettuce piece that sticks out of the ground. You know, and so they're two different compounds. And so the beets are used because they increase the nitric oxide production in the body, and nitric oxide can increase blood flow and perfusion. And so athletes will use it because it kind of like dilates your blood vessels and, you know, they feel, they feel like it helps, you know, not, there's no papers that say that it helps. Um, it's minimal if impact, if anything, and some people will use it for like circulation stuff. Um, totally fine to do because that shouldn't contain significant amount of oxalates that's found in the beet greens, which is a separate part. And the beet greens better not be in the beet part of the supplement if it's made correctly. Right. So, Okay. Cool. Yep. So calcium rich foods, you're going to want to have those greens like collard greens, kale, Chinese cabbage, but stuff like dandelion greens, mustard greens and broccoli. And actually, this is a little bit of a digression, too. So we've had conversations in the podcast about fake tests and genetics and all of this stuff. And one of my recent customers uh, was using this online lab to test his gut. And like I said, I think he sent in a stool sample. And it's really kind of funny because they send back a list of foods that he should and shouldn't eat. And I could have literally charged him the same amount of money, pretended I gave him all that information and gave him the same exact list because it's that same basic list of what is healthy for you and what is not. And what they did is they peppered in like these rare sounding things like dandelion greens or mustard greens, Uh, Mm. you know, things that are rich in micronutrients that would be beneficial because it looks exotic because there's no other reason. But, you know, again, it's like uh, minimize dairy, minimize sugar, right? Watch out for pe- processed packaged foods. Um, asparagus can be problematic. It's like, yeah, no duh. These are all the things that we know either due to the FODMAPs or due to the, you know, the, the, the like allergens or the intolerances that are associated with it. Like what the heck man. Right. So, uh, but anyway, back to it. So there's a bunch of other uh, bone healthy foods that we have to consider stuff like magnesium, uh, vitamin C, 
from a nutritional standpoint, everybody gets all like, you know, they start salivating, licking their chops. Oh, I can't wait to take more vitamin C for something. No, uh, vitamin C from food <laughs> is what really helps out uh, with our bones and it helps in collagen production and all of this other stuff. Uh, but you should be eating peppers and oranges and stuff like that. Uh, magnesium, spinach, tomato products, sweet potatoes. We don't really have a big deficit of magnesium, even though like the supplement companies want to make you think that we do. Normally we're only like a hundred, 200 milligrams shy a day, which is very achievable with food. If you just have like a, a, a decent diet, you'd, you'd hit that pretty, uh, uh, easily. Potassium is one that you know, sometimes people can be low on. Uh, electrolytes are very important, especially if you're like an athlete or something like that. But um, you can't really supplement enough because the most of the supplement will be over the counter is only 100 milligrams. Now, they do that because there's this weird thing that happened like one time where somebody got more than 100 milligrams of potassium and it caused some weird stuff in their in people's guts. So the FDA just generally says, OK, so if if you put more than 100, you have to put a warning on your bottle that says it could cause this weird gut thing, right? And the weird gut thing is doesn't really happen because lots of people eat lots of potassium all day, 4,000 milligrams to be exact, and they never have this problem. But So the FDA makes them put this warning on there. So no manufacturer will. No manufacturer will ever put that warning on there because, no, you know, that's scary, right? <laughs> like people will yeah. read that label and be like, oh my God, I'm not going to do that. Um, so that's why potassium supplements are capped out at 99 milligrams, because as soon as you put a hundred, it becomes problematic. So if you need 4,000 milligrams a day of potassium, a hundred milligram tablets, you're going to have to take 40 of those bad boys a day. We're not going to do that. So eat potassium rich foods instead. And so again, sweet potatoes, papaya, oranges, bananas, these things are going to be rich in potassium. And then last but not least, we have the vitamin K. Vitamin K we've talked about, uh, I think at nauseum here on the podcast, but we don't take vitamin K to make our bones stronger. We take vitamin K to prevent our bones from being weak. If we have a vitamin K deficiency, our bones will be weaker. If we don't have a vitamin K deficiency, our bones will be normal. If you, um, if you take vitamin K at the amount that we would take either in supplements or in food and multiply it by a thousand, you'll have the vitamin K drugs that are used in like Japan for bone health. And those drugs have a moderate effect on bone density. So you, if you wanted a supplement with vitamin K for your quote unquote bone health, you would need to take a thousand pills a day to have a moderate effect. Okay. And by that time, you're probably going to get, um, uh, constipation from eating too many pills. Uh, so vitamin K is important. It's crucial, but we're only doing it to make sure that we're not deficient. And it's difficult to get deficient. Um, you just have to have uh, lots of dark leafy greens, which is an important part of this whole conversation otherwise. So as you can tell from the foods, it, it's like proteins and dark leafy greens, dairy, um, potatoes and vegetables and, and these kinds of things. These are the healthy foods that you should be eating for your bones. Again, at the end of the day, it's really just going to prevent any losses or prevent your bones from being weaker. It's not going to truly make your bones stronger, especially if your bone density is already compromised. So that being said, there's problematic stuff. So what are some foods that can make our bones less healthy? Um, basically rum and Cokes. <laughs> so <laughs> sounds like a lot of sugar and a lot of booze. Yeah. So it's more, the caffeine is a real issue. So if you have more than like two to three, uh, cups of caffeinated beverage, whether that's coffee or tea or whatever, you could potentially decrease calcium absorption and that would be a problem, right? But also you'd get dehydrated as well. And we don't want either one of those things. So you have to really limit your caffeine to at least three at most three, but you know, I would say at best one, you know, one cup of mm -hmm. caffeinated beverages a day. 
the booze itself can do the same thing. It's going to accelerate your bone loss. Uh, again, three drinks a day. I would normally say, oh my goodness, that's a lot, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. So three a day, it's probably sounds normal for everybody, like the, especially homeschooling their kids. <laughs> so mm -hmm. just keep it to three drinks a day. And then the last part is soda. So soda, here's the misperception is that carbonation makes your bones weaker and acidity from the carbonation is a problem. That's not really true. That's not the problem. The problem is the sugar content. The problem is the caffeine. Those are the big things that can impact bone health, but also phosphorus. So this concept that America may get too much phosphorus in their diets and too much phosphorus contributes to bone loss where the right amount of phosphorus makes your bones stronger. That's up for debate. We have a lot of experts weighing in on either side. And my whole point to this conversation is everything has to be taken in moderation and we have to take a varied approach. It's not like a secret sauce. Let's go eat more phosphorus and we'll do good or cut out the phosphorus. And any diet that talks about making something either angelic or devilish, you know, this is the thing that will save you. This is the thing that's causing your problems. Normally it's misguided because it's obviously like a blended approach. So rum and Cokes, alcohol, caffeine, soda, all three of those things can contribute to bone loss. Uh, mm. Salty foods can be problematic too, as they uh, will inhibit bone, uh, bone strength by decreasing calcium. Well, actually, it increases loss of calcium. It doesn't stop the absorption. Um, the one that I want to spend a little bit more time on are these things called phytates. And this is what makes the protein sources from plants a little bit more complicated. Phytates are one of those quote-unquote anti-nutrients. So they're chemical compounds found in our, our plants that will potentially inhibit the absorption of other nutrients. So mm -hmm. those exist all over the place. Like uh, eggs will inhibit the absorption of biotin. That's why you can't have just egg whites. You have to have the whole egg, right? Um, so there's a bunch of these anti-nutrients that we deal with. And so beans, grains, um, let's see, like potatoes, wheat bran, these are things that are rich in phytates and then could contribute to calcium malabsorption. So we have to be careful. And that's the warning that's put out there. But what's the reality? The reality is, is that because we cook, clean, process our beans and all of this stuff, before we eat it, the phytate concentration is actually going to be pretty low. So it should be something that should be considered but it shouldn't be something that is a, a deal breaker for most people. So understanding that if your sole source of calcium is beans, that's a problem. One, because you're relying too heavily on one thing. And two, beans have phytic acid and you're probably now getting too much phytic acid and uh, that could be problematic. And again, same thing. Phytic acid could have some anti-inflammatory antioxidant effects, so it could be healthy for some you know, some parts of our diet, but then if we get excessive amounts, it could be a real issue. So, um, so that's, that's the long and the short of it. So these are the types of things that you can and should eat calcium, protein, magnesium, rich foods, vitamin C, potassium. Those are things that you want to eat, you know, have a nice blended diet. And then you have to look out for soda, caffeine, alcohol, and you have to look out for these phytate rich foods, any of these things that would have these anti-nutrients in them, not just, you know, in general, cut them out of your diet, but make sure that you're soaking your beans overnight if you're going to cook with them, or, uh, you know, just make sure that you are cooking with them or not relying exclusively on any one category of food for an, a major source of your nutrient uh, nutrition. So you just want to make sure that you're kind of like mixing and matching as you go. So I hope that helps Dana. Does that help you? 
at all? Uh, that is a lot of good information. It definitely helps. Okay. I'm glad. I hope that your bones are <laughs> nice and healthy because someday you're going to be a skeleton that's going to be used as decorations for Halloween somewhere. So we have to remember that. Or in a school, like a medical school, like in Young Frankenstein, where they were pointing at the thing. Remember that? We're watching a lot of Halloween movies. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> we're going to watch. Well, I am an organ donor and I did stipulate that my bones needed to be put on display in Halloween. I don't know how you know that, but. That's really w- interesting. That's why I got to keep my insides looking good. Yeah. So we're going to watch Hocus Pocus tonight and I have got my costume for Halloween. Check my Facebook page for Halloween day because I'll be dressed up and, and that kind of stuff. I'll try to throw it on our, my Instagram too. I'm going to be Louise Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Oh, nice. The I'm going to be a salty, hat. middle-aged Jewish woman. Okay, that's good. So the costume's cheap then, right? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a real stretch. Yeah, my wife's going to be the notorious RBG, so she's got a hat and everything. Nice. So. All right. Well, until next time, keep it real, folks, and I will see you again. Take care. Take care.